Morning, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be back here at Trinity. Uh, I get to see you every few months, uh, and it's always a joy to come and, and worship with you. Uh, as uh, a friend of mine at, at Metro North refers to us as forever family, uh, that we get together. Uh, this morning, uh, as we prepare for uh, Advent itself, uh, I'll be preaching out of John chapter 1. So if, if you're one of those people that brings your Bible with you to church, if you'll go ahead and turn to, to John 1. Um, but as I said, this morning is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and in a, in a sense, there's, there's a little bit of awkwardness because we immediately just had Thanksgiving. And so we're jumping into this transition of this, uh, this American holiday of, of giving thanks for what we have, and we're, we're focusing our hearts and our minds and shifting to celebrating the advent of the Christ child. And so I figured it would be fitting to go to John 1, to the gospel uh, that John wrote to affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. So I figured what better way to celebrate both Thanksgiving and Advent than to read the account of God himself stepping into his creation. This is John 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we come here this morning to give thanks out of adoration of everything that you have done, everything who you are. And Lord, I pray that this morning that you would meet us here in this place. 
Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would use a broken vessel like myself to proclaim your word. That this would not be my agenda. These would not just be my thoughts. But God, that you would use me to proclaim the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now in this time. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Now, I learned something this Thanksgiving. Uh, something possibly a little disturbing. Uh, but I learned something about cranberries. Specifically, about cranberries that are grown in Massachusetts. Now, cranberries grow, at least in this area, they grow in, in a bog while the water is low. But when it's time to harvest the cranberries, they flood the bog, and the farmers put on hip waders and go out into the water with these floating hoops to round up the berries and collect them. But here's the catch. The best farmers and the best berries do not use pesticides or chemicals. The cranberry bogs are protected from, from pests and, and, and other insects by thousands of wolf spiders. And so uh, these spiders do such a good job that the farmers actually view the spiders as co-workers and they want to protect them because they're protecting their crop. And so these farmers that go out in the hip waders, part of their job is not just to collect the cranberries, but they allow hundreds of spiders to crawl up them to safety. And when I read this on Thanksgiving, I turned to my wife Amy and I said, this year, I am thankful that I am not a cranberry farmer. <laughs> and you laugh, but I'm willing to bet that you probably agree with me that you are thankful that you are not a cranberry farmer either. But there are some people who this is their livelihood and they love what they do and for some strange reason God has given them a weird love of wolf spiders. But thankfully our faith is not dependent upon things like loving spiders. No, our faith hinges on something much more fundamental. And as we read this passage of John's gospel this morning, you cannot deny that every believer is called to be thankful because of the gifts from God. What we read in John's passage this morning and from John's gospel should move our hearts to gratitude and thankfulness because Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, directly interjects himself into creation. In fact, this passage reveals three distinct actions that take place in this process. And they're best described in the following ways. First, in verses 1 through 5, it's the gift of creation. Second, in verses 6 through 13, we see the gift of identity. And lastly, in verses 14 through 18, we see the gift of presence. But first, let's look at the first gift given in this passage, the gift of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, when John wrote this passage uh, in that day, this opening automatically appealed to, to all audiences, to Jewish and Gentile audiences alike. 
to the Jewish audiences that heard it. They heard, in the beginning, and it automatically takes them back to Genesis 1, the beginning of all of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so already John has his, his Jewish audience, he has their, their, uh, their, their interest peaked. But also for the Gentile audience, uh, that, was mo- that was made up of Roman and, and Greek people predominantly, they hear the word, uh, what we read as word, the Gre- is the Greek word doulos. And it means word, matter, or thing. And in that day, in the, the philosophy of that time, before any existed thing began, there was a concept of it, a word. So before there was a chair, there was a concept of a chair. And then a chair came into being. And so the Gentile audience, they heard in the beginning was the doulos. And they're like, okay, I'm, I'm tracking with him so far. But then what does the word, the doulos, do? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now some of the Greeks might personally disagree with the personification of this doulos, but at this point, all, everyone in John's audience agrees, all right, yeah, we're tracking with you so far because all things have a beginning. Regardless of if they believed in the covenant God of Israel or not, all people in, in John's audience believed, yeah, this stuff didn't, wasn't just always here, but everything came from something. Everything has a beginning. Even in their differing viewpoints, the gift of creation itself is, a, is what we refer to in the church as a common grace. It's for all people, believer and non-believer alike. Jesus himself spoke about common grace, specifically in Matthew 5. After giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about, uh, or during the Sermon on the Mount, he's discussing loving your enemies. And he says, for he, being God, He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Creation itself is a gift that is given to all people regardless of what they believe. Even today, your Muslim neighbor, your Hindu co-worker, your atheist classmate, your agnostic family member, and everyone in between on some level agrees that there was, at some point, a beginning. You might disagree over where that beginning came from, but everyone believes that creation began. There was a beginning. And that gift is given by the Creator. Some would argue for a more scientific explanation uh, of some sort of cosmic accident that created this, this influx of life to happen and over millions of years or billions of years of, of evolution that here we are today. But you and I would agree with what Paul wrote in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created 
through him, being Jesus, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Regardless of if you believe in God or not, the point is the same, that creation itself is a gift given freely to all. You and I would see the beauty of a sunrise and be reminded that the heavens themselves declare the glory of God. You look at the intricacies excuse me, of the human body, the, the amazing design of how the human body itself works, and we're reminded that Scripture says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You might be a mountains person. You might be a beach person. You might love the East Coast, the West Coast. You might love to travel all over the world. But regardless of where your heart finds enjoyment, do you ever slow down to give thanks for that gift? Because let's face it, we live here. This world was created. The trees and the sun and the, the moon and the stars and the, the waves and uh, cranberries and, and everything else was made. And it's a gift. And sometimes we're so busy in the hustle and bustle of life, we stop and we neglect to slow down and say, God, Father, Creator, thank you. Thank you for these gifts that you've given to us. From there, John describes the word in more detail. And he reveals the second gift, the gift of identity. He begins picking up in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, here... He's talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And John's role was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And he makes a clear distinction that this John, who did important work and set up important ministry, this John was not the light. But he came pointing to the light. His ministry, his work, everything that he did in his life was focused on pointing to the light who is coming. And this light is the light of life that emanated from the Word. The Word itself gave off this light that was coming into the world. And the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And this is Jesus. Not just his ministry recorded in Scripture, but Jesus today. In, in that time, uh, the, the people that heard Jesus teaching said things like, Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't his, Mary, his, his mother called Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? 
And there are people today that, that look at the historical evidence that there truly was a factual person named Jesus of Nazareth. And they're like, oh, well, even if he did exist, I mean, he was just a good teacher. You can't, you can't take all that God stuff seriously because, you know, we're, we're in an age of science and that was a, a time of mythology and, and fantasy. I mean, yeah, he might have taught some good moral lessons, but he wasn't really God. He came into the world and yet the world did not know him. But for those who did believe, but to all who did, Receive him who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's the gift that he gives. He gave you and I the right to become children of God. To those who believe this light, this, this word, who made all of creation, he gives the gift of identity. Now you and I understand the concept of identity, of, of identifying and belonging to something bigger and greater than ourselves. Groups and cliques, the, the, the friend groups that you naturally associate with and, and move toward. I remember growing up, the, the general cliques were, you had the, the jocks and the nerds and the, the art kids and the, the band kids, and, and there were all these almost tribes on a school campus. And people move to these groups because they hold similar values. They believe similar things. In fact, this morning, there's probably people here today that are re either rejoicing or mourning because of their identity that is tied to either Clemson or Carolina. Even though you personally had no impact in that game whatsoever, your identity is found in that, in that university, in that team, to such a point that your identity is linked with their loss or win. And here, John says that for those who believed the word... They're given a precious gift that their identity is found in being a child of God. Not because of their heritage or bloodline. You didn't have to be a descendant of Abraham. Not because they were good enough. Not because they worked hard enough, but because of God and the work that he has done. And like any good and proper gift, this is pure grace. Like receiving a birthday present or a Christmas gift. You didn't deserve it, but it was given to you out of love. It's undeserved. And in Ephesians 2, Paul puts it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't be good enough. 
You can't work hard enough. You can't be moral enough. You can't give enough away to any charity. You can't, you can't memorize enough scripture. You can't go to enough Bible studies. But you are his workmanship, his beautiful creation. And he looks at you and says, you are mine. Are you thankful for that? Are you aware of the sinful inclinations of your own heart? Because when I'm, when I'm still and honest and look at the dark places of my own heart, I know that on its own, I would not choose God. I would not want any authority to claim stake over my life. But because of his goodness, he looks at you and he looks at me. And he says, you are my child. But the gifts keep getting better. Because it's not just a gift of of the common grace of creation. It's not just the gift of, of identity. But this God gives himself as a gift. And it's the gift of his presence. He picks he continues in verse fourteen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This creator who was in the beginning, and all things were created by him and through him, steps into his creation to be with his creation. And we look at this God, this Word become flesh, and we see His glory. Because you look at the Son, and you see the Father. One of the things that I've always struggled with when someone has a baby, there are some people that naturally pick up on this. They're like, oh, he has your eyes, but he has, he has your nose, and oh, the, he has you know, great Uncle Bob's ears. And, like, I, I've never been one to pick up on the, the facial traits so quickly like that. But one of the things is, as my own children get older, I see my daughter, and when she starts laughing, I'm like, she's got my smile. And people can look at a child and say, oh, well, that's, that's Jim's son. That's Anne's daughter. They see reflections of the parent through the child. And you and I look at the Word become flesh, at this God in creation, and we see the Father because of the glory of the Son. In verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John the Baptist looks at the Word become flesh and says, this is Him. This is the one that I've been telling everyone about. This is the light that I've been speaking about. And because of the fullness 
of Jesus Christ, because of the glory of the Father that is in Jesus Christ. Scripture says you and I receive grace upon grace. That Jesus Christ is so full of the glory and majesty of God the Father, it's like trying to pour a gallon of milk into an eight-ounce glass. It just starts spilling and overflowing everywhere. And you and I are splashed with the glory of God because of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And while Moses was good because he brought the law, the law was never meant to save. The law points out that you and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And no one has seen God. But because of Christ, God is made known. Just as someone can look at my daughter and see me reflected in her, you and I look at Christ and say that He is the grace of God. And that's what we're celebrating here at Advent, isn't it? We come together because we remember and we observe and we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. The Word become flesh. The Almighty, infinite God who created everything by the power of His Word steps into His own creation. As I teach, as I joke with my students uh, at church, I refer to Him sometimes as Deus con carne, God with flesh. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. And this Jesus, the Word become flesh, reveals the glory of the Father. And we see glimpses of His mercy and His grace. And He steps into creation and He speaks to the unloved and He says, you are loved. He, spe- he speaks to the rejected and says, you belong to Me. And the Son of God came in humility, born as a child, and lived a life of perfect obedience to fulfill a law that you and I could never keep. And in His humility, as Paul wrote in Philippians, that He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And He takes the weight of your guilt and your sin, and your shame. And it's nailed to that bloody cross. And as He rises again in victory over sin and death, He gives you His status and His identity as righteous. So that you are no longer considered an enemy of God, a sinner, justly deserving death, but you are adopted as sons and daughters of the holy, living God. Because He did what no other faith could do. No prophecy, no philosophy, no idol or false god could step into creation and physically dwell with other believers. None of these things could step into your life and say, you, you are mine. 
And so the question is, has that reality sunk in? Has the reality of what God has done by stepping into creation itself, has that realization set in? Or are you trying to live in such a way that you're trying to earn God's favor? Hoping that if you do enough good things that maybe I can get God's attention. If I'm good enough, oh God, if I just memorize enough scripture, if I pray enough, if I live a moral life enough, God, will you please be with me? Or has the realization hit you that he's already done that? He's already come in the flesh. And by coming in the flesh, he's given you and I the gift of the Spirit. His presence is with us right now, this very moment. i got to tell you, that thankfulness, a life of gratitude out of what the Lord has already done, is a far better witness than just spouting Scripture at people. It's good to know Scripture. It's good to memorize that. I don't want you to hear me wrong. But you can live the squeakiest, cleanest moral life and you can be in these church doors every time they're open. But the best way to proclaim and share the glory and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ is to live a life of gratitude and thankfulness for what he has already done and accomplished on your behalf. And so as we enter this Advent season this year, I want to ask, where are you today? Where is your heart? Is it marked with discontent or thankfulness? Do you look at this gift of creation, this world around us, and simply walk on by? Do you even acknowledge the beauty and the majesty of the created world around you? Or do you look at this majesty and say, Heavenly Father, thank you. Are you trying to find your identity in the things of this world? Your job status, whatever team you pull for, uh, whatever it is that you find your identity, these things rise and fall and ultimately pass away? Or do you see yourself as Scripture declares you to be? A child of God. And rest in that saying, Father, thank you. Do you find yourself chasing after the philosophies and values of this current age? That they may give some guidance, but they could never physically be with you. Or do you trust that God the Father sent His Son in the flesh to dwell within His own creation, to redeem His people, and change you from an enemy of God into a child of God? Have you stopped to say thank you? This Advent season, I want to challenge you. What are you thankful for? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that far too often our vision is set on ourselves. We have not stopped to thank you for the the majesty of this world that you have given to believer and non-believer alike. Lord, we confess that far too often we find our identity in the, the activities that we, we do, even the things that we enjoy. 
and we have not found our identity in you. And Lord, we are so quick to forget that you are present with us. Because it is, it's hard to remember sometimes when we cannot physically see you here. But Lord, we cannot deny that Jesus came in the flesh. And Lord, we trust in the promise of your spirit that you are with us now. That you are with your people. That you are working to redeem us. And because of the fullness of the Son that we have received grace upon grace. Lord, as we go out today, remind us to be thankful of these precious gifts. Lord, let us go out into the world not trying to, uh, to fight those around us, but to share the joy and gratitude and thankfulness out of what you have already done. Let us rest in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. And let us find our hope that he has already won. And it's in his victorious name we pray. Amen.